Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. your Bibles and turn to Genesis 12. Genesis 12. We're going to be in a couple different places this morning, but I want you, I want you to start in uh, Genesis 12, and uh, we're going to walk through some narratives and see an example of something. But um, I want you to recognize something, and that something is we live in a culture of chain reactions. Really, day to day. Every day, chain reactions take place, one after another, time and time again. And ultimately, chain reactions are something that start as we wake up in the morning, right? Our alarm goes off in the morning. And as our alarm goes off, it begins a chain reaction. For some of you, when that alarm goes off, it may not be the most positive chain reaction to start, right? How many of you are morning people? Raise your hands. Okay, how many of you are not? Raise your hands, all right? My fellow non-morning people, I am with you. So the first chain reaction that may happen in the morning when you your alarm goes off is the chain decision as to whether to get out of bed or snooze the alarm, right? And from there, another sequence of chain reactions takes place, whether it be my normal routine or whatever else may come. And throughout the rest of my day, this truth that there are these chain reactions all along the way. And for some of you, you may experience chain reactions that are positive in nature and they energize you and you're feeling better and better and better about each step of the day. And then some of you may experience quite the opposite, where one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. Um, have you ever heard the statement, it always seems like negative things come in threes, right? You have two negative things happen and you're just waiting for this, there's this chain reaction of happenings that can determine the flow of what takes place. Now, some of you know exactly what I'm illustrating here, right? That realistically, when we're talking about chain reactions, it's that beginning with one thing, it leads to another that ultimately leads to a whole flow of things. Now, we don't have really any struggle with identifying that there's specific chain reactions that can happen day to day. The very truth behind how your car functions is a series of chain reactions, and we're dependent on that, right? I, I'm a mechanic, I have a mechanical mind, so how things work is one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. But what about the broader chain reaction culture that you yourself have come from? Even more specifically, we should be asking a daily question of what chain reaction are you and I creating today? What is the chain reaction that I am setting up, 
simply by who I am being today. And this is really our subject question that I want you to wrestle with, I want you to consider, I want you to challenge yourself with. And ultimately we're going to look at God's word and see some examples, some negative and some positive examples and why in the world we should even care about this. Ultimately my prayer is that we as a church would be able to recognize that there is a significance to us setting a course that causes a Christ-focused chain reaction, not only in our own lives, but in generations to come. So let's start. We're going to pray that God would open our eyes to see the negative chain reactions of our past and ultimately what we have been given as potential in Christ. Father, as we unpack this, may you reveal to us right now, as individuals, as a church, what are the chain reactions that maybe we've just become accustomed to, those things, that domino effect of things, one after another, after another, after another, that somehow we just have fallen into a rut where we don't see any possible way that we can break that chain. And today, Lord, may we grasp and understand that Jesus indeed has made a way for the chains of our past to be broken and for us to walk in newness of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Genesis 12, and if you look at verse 1 of Genesis 12, we're introduced to this guy named Abraham. Everyone say Abraham. And some of the translations may say Abram. Abram and Abraham, it's the same guy. And in verse 1, we see God make this covenant promise with Abraham, where he says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Everyone say blessed. So, here is God promising this man, Abram, I'm going to bless you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I automatically think clearly Abram had found favor with God. So we start from this basis, here is this godly man, this faithful guy, who God has said, Abram, I'm specifically going to bless the earth through you. Wow. Now, the next assumption that we would often make when we look at a person and say, hey, this is a godly guy. The Lord has clearly blessed him. Is we anticipate, we're going to see God-centric chain reactions. Here's this faithful man who's seeking to do the Lord's will and God's clearly blessing him and he's willing to even lead every, leave everything that he's ever known and follow the Lord's leading. So, man, I'm, I'm curious. What, what is this guy's family life and home life look like? I, I kind of want to have the same blessing from the Lord. So, now let's fast forward a little bit, all right? Let's, let's fast forward a little bit past this blessing and jump over to verse 10 of Genesis 12, where it says, Now there was a famine in the land, so no food. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. 
When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Nice job, Abram. Compliment your wife. Good work. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Verse 13 is where we start to see some problems. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Abram, what are you doing, man? Here is this guy who the Lord's clearly promised to bless, and you would think that the mindset would be, if the Lord's promised to bless Abram, then clearly he's not going to allow Abram to be killed before God brings forth the blessing he's promised to Abram. Right? And yet, entering into Egypt in the middle of this famine, Abraham is scared, scared to the point that he's going to die. So he formulates this plan and tells his wife, you need to lie to the Egyptians in order that I might live. Now, this brings about a point that we're going to see further but that ultimately we see throughout all of Scripture, and I want you to recognize, and that is at the root that sin never, everyone say never, sin never, everyone say never, it never has others in mind. A legacy of sin begins by doing what I think is best and will benefit me without Stopping to consider how it will affect anyone else. Sin is always rooted in our own selfish mindset. Any sin that we commit ultimately is rooted in the fact that I think this is best, so I'm going to do what I believe will benefit me the most. And we see this in what Abram says. Say you are my sister. Why? Verse 13. That it may go well with who? me that it hey this this is going to be bad for me they'll let you live you're going to be fine but this is going to be bad for me so lie to them and it'll go well with us you know but really it'll be better for me i'm scared do this even though it's not right do this we're going to have faith in my plan rather than god's promises sin now what happens here is They enter Egypt, they lie, this comes to be. Well, then they see that Abram uh, was ultimately um, lying to them. And he says in verse 18, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Okay, so all this happens where Pharaoh takes Abram's wife as his wife. And all of a sudden they were experiencing very negative effects of this, understandably so. And he goes, why did you do this? Ultimately, because Abram did not have faith in what the Lord was doing in that moment. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up, I want you to flip forward with me to Genesis chapter 26. Okay, take note of what happened there with Abram. So, as we move through Genesis, what takes place is... uh, God actually blesses Abram and Sarai with a son, and his name was Isaac. Everyone say Isaac. And uh, Isaac was the only son of Abram and Sarai, and ultimately then, 
we see the story of Isaac unfold. And in Genesis 26, starting in verse 6, it says, So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. And so Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. The family cycle continues. Not only Abraham, but then you see the exact same thing play out in Isaac's life. Fear, deception, sin, this pattern, this cycle continues. Now, we're not done yet. Flip over to chapter 27. So God blesses Isaac with twin sons named Jacob and Esau. Now to give you a little background here, it is Jacob who ultimately is renamed Israel and he has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. So you kind of see the lineage here, the biblical narrative. This is why Old Testament is important as we walk through each step of this. And in Genesis 27 we see another instance of deception. Look at verse 5 of 27. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. Esau was technically the oldest son. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the, before the Lord before I die. Verse 8. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. This is a problem, right? Rebecca saying, son, obey my voice as I command you. Instead of, hey, let's heed the voice of the Lord as he commands us. Verse 9, go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. Verse 13, his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So Jacob and his mom here deceive Isaac by putting goat skin on his arms and Isaac can't see very well in this. And so he is deceived into blessing Jacob before Esau and ultimately Jacob receives the blessing. Now, if we want to get technical with the order of this, we have to understand that God intended this to be the order in which things took place. In fact, from the very beginning... God had said he was going to bless Israel through the younger, not the older. So this was a fulfillment of God's prophecy. However, we still see this domino effect within one family unit in Scripture. Where it wasn't just one person in this generation 
who sinned against the Lord in this way, who deceived, who walked in fear and failed to have faith in God. But it passed down and it continued this cycle. And we could look at other instances. You look at the life of King David and what his sin brought about and the impact of that on his family. Here's what I want you to wrestle with, church. Who you are matters. Who you choose to be makes a difference in how the chain reaction happens. Now, this isn't the only, this in Genesis isn't the only chain reaction, and there's positive chain reactions we see as this example in 2 Timothy, where Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's ultimately encouraging Timothy, keep going in your ministry. And what he says here is, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I come to this passage in 2 Timothy, I go, man, I want to have the kind of influence in my family for generations to come. To where other people can look at the faith of my children and go, I saw this faith in your grandfather and your father, and now I see it in you. I don't know about you, but that's the chain reaction that I long for. And if we're honest, any one of us, I believe that's what we desire, that the legacy we leave would ultimately be one that transforms lives. It would be a legacy that's remembered, not because of who what, what we accomplished, but rather what Christ has accomplished in us. Who you are matters. Parents, I want to speak specifically to you for a minute, and this applies to grandparents as well. It doesn't matter what you do if what you do doesn't match up with who you are. You can do all kinds of things. But if who you are is not consistent with what you want to see the generations to come live out, don't be surprised when they go their own way. You can come to church every Sunday. You can put your kids in Sunday school every week. You can get them involved in activities every day. And if you don't live out what God in Christ has called you to live out, don't be surprised when your children wander away from that which is most important. Who you are communicates what's important. If you only open your Bible at church, if you only talk about Jesus on Sunday, if you only pray when you sit down at the dinner table or before you go to bed, don't be surprised when you see your kids grow to be individuals who don't open their Bibles and don't pray. If you gossip about people at home or in the car, if you mismanage your money, if you mistreat your spouse, don't be alarmed when you see your kids replicating that behavior because that is the culture you have created. That's the domino effect you have established. Who you are matters. 
You can be the best at what you do and still be a terrible person. Some of you may know people that are that way. Man, they're really good at what they do, but I cannot stand them. Because ultimately, character trumps competency. And many of you may even see this in your own family generations. Where you may not remember what someone did, but you definitely remember who they were. The people that have the longest impact in our lives were people of character and consistency. And ultimately, what will be remembered about us, I guarantee you, has much less to do with what we accomplished and way more to do with the kind of person we chose to be. Who you are matters. Everyone say it matters. It matters. Second thing here, where this, this is a hope, this, goodness, this is such a hope. Where you have come from does not have to define where you are going. Turn with me to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. This is nearer to the New Testament than it is the the rest of the Old Testament. So keep flipping. Jeremiah 31. And in verse 29 of 31, there's this parable. And this parable was spoken a couple of different times in Scripture. Spoken here, it was spoken again in Ezekiel 18. Um, which I'll, I'll show in a minute. But listen, listen to this. In verse 29 of Jeremiah 31, In those days they shall no longer say, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. Now, some of you hear that and you go, What in the world is he talking about? Well, here was the mindset and mentality of the people. The mindset was, oh, we're going to bemoan. And you see this in Lamentations. I think Lamentations 5. It's either 3 or 5. Where they're like, our, our, our fathers sinned. Our grandparents sinned. And we're paying the price for it. This is the cycle we're stuck in because of what they did. And that ultimately, it's about blame shifting. Which we saw from the very beginning, the first sin, right? God, it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault that this happened. It's, it's all the, it's these people you put with me. It's, it's them. And here in Jeremiah, God prophesies through him and he says, in the day to come, they will no longer say, our fathers have eaten sour grapes and our teeth are set on edge. Instead, Everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. In other words, he will have the bad taste left in his mouth. Not because of someone else eating the sour grapes, because you yourself ate them. 
Ezekiel 18, 2 through 4 emphasizes this once more, where it says, What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Here's the short of this, church. You are responsible for the legacy that you leave. Here's how this is pictured another way. So often, we look at this chain reaction and we see, we can identify and go, man, I can see sins of my family and their family before them. I can see where they fell short. I can see where all of this has had an impact, a negative impact on my life and the life of others now in my family. And I'm my family suffered with addiction. And so it's just in our genes. So we're just going to be addicted. Our family uh, suffered in this way. So I'm just going to be this. This is how it's going to be. And yet we don't stop to think about the fact that I have a choice to break that cycle. To remove myself from this generational chain to where it ends with me. Where it stops here. And then I get the chance to say, no more, no more of this. I'm starting a new legacy where we're going to strive to follow Jesus. And I have that choice today. How do I know I have that choice? Church, one last passage. Turn to Romans 5. Romans 5, we see one of the clearest indicators of generational sin. Where we have to accept this reality that... None of us are exempt from. But God made a way. Verse 12 of Romans 5 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. First off, goodness, what a terrible legacy to be responsible for leaving. Right? For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. 
For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Christ has made a way for you to be a new link in the generational chain. In the same way that through Adam, there was this generational cycle that was brought about in sin to where none of us can stand and say, I'm not a sinner. In the same way, in Christ, we are given the choice to walk in newness of life. John 1 says that for all who receive Him, who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. It's literally removed out of the chain of sin and made, adopted a child of the King and living out as an ambassador of Him, extending what He started, not what we have always had to live in. 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone's in in Christ, he is a new. Everyone say new. He is a new. New creation. Church, you have a choice to begin a new chain, generational legacy. You have a choice to start that today. Don't waste it. Father, as we commit this time to you, may you help us to recognize and be challenged by the the generational chains of our past and that You have given us a way in Jesus to break free from those. May we be consistent with who You've called us to be. Renew us by Your Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name.